Have you ever had a little tiny person, a child, try to attack you? Yeah. It's a crazy experience because you're trying to like keep them from hurting you and themselves and they're just, I mean, the way that they, they're really strong for being so small and um, inevitably they will connect somehow, usually in the most painful way possible, a kick to the shin or a headbutt right to the nose. Has anybody gotten a headbutt to the nose from their child before? Oh, it hurts so bad. This is what I imagine when I read about Jacob's wrestling match with God. <sighs> Jacob just going crazy and God just being like, uh, simmer down. And you know how also when you're a parent sometimes and your child is freaking out, like you're, for me, my coping mechanism sometimes is to laugh, which makes it sort of worse. But I can see God just sort of chuckling like, oh, Jacob, you're funny. But real talk, Jacob might have deserved to be beat up just a little, right? I mean, you remember from the moment that he was born, Jacob was trying to take things that weren't his. The reason he was named Jacob was because he was born, he was a twin with Esau, and he was born, they say, holding on to Esau's ankle, trying to take Esau's birthright, even from the moment of birth. Jacob was never happy with what he had. He always wanted more, even if it wasn't his to take. And Jacob ultimately succeeded in his task of usurping his brother Esau, which is what the name Jacob means. His father Isaac was blind and dying, and so Jacob put on furs to emulate his, his brother's hairiness and a wild game soup to pretend he had his brother's skills of hunting, and he tricked his dying father into giving him his brother's birthright. Then he left town to avoid being caught and suffering any consequences. And Jacob, that wasn't the first time, it probably wasn't, and, and it certainly wasn't the last that he did this kind of stuff. He was always caught up in some kind of con or trick or plan gone wrong. He thought he could scheme his way out of anything, from problems like marrying the wrong sister to keeping his herds healthy by separating them by marking. He always had an angle, and it always benefited Jacob. His approach to staying safe as he came back home was no different. Before the scripture that Rader read earlier, there is um, there's a passage where Jacob has a plan. He hatches this plan to separate his family into two groups. So he always is hedging his bets, right, this Jacob. So that way, if Esau attacks, he just attacks one half of his family, and then Jacob can get away with the other half. So very Jacob. So... Maybe he didn't necessarily deserve to be beat up, but he certainly needed to be relieved of his sense of control. On the night that he was finally broken that we saw in our Genesis text this morning, Jacob was alone, which is appropriate. 
Our dark nights of the soul cannot be battled with anyone else. It's not a tag team. You don't get to like get tired and say like, okay, tag out, it's your turn. They're not a team sport. They are a solitary endeavor. Our friends and family, they can support us, but they cannot face it for us. Much like birth, death, inner transformation must be done alone. Jacob found himself alone that night before he faced the reckoning for the biggest con he ever pulled off. He was about to see his brother again for the first time since he tricked their dying father. Con men usually don't revisit the scene of their cons. Now, once their con is done, they move along, right? There's nothing left for them there. But Jacob was called back to receive his transformation. He could not run anymore. So on that night that he had to face the facts that he could not con his way through life anymore and there was no more angles to take that he just had to walk it through in truth, he has a wrestling match with God. Perhaps you have experienced that as well. Maybe you have been like the flailing two-year-old trying to negotiate and demand and do roundhouse kicks while God tries to mitigate the damage and holds you. Chances are at some point in, in your life, maybe at lots of points in your life, you have had spiritual and emotional breakdowns where you've lost control, where your grief and anger and rage or sadness has made you rage against God. You know, we come here to church on, on Sunday morning all spruced up and looking nice, right? We look like we have it all together. Look around. Look at how great everybody looks. Everybody looks so wonderful. But everyone, everyone here, everyone we come in contact with has wounds and scars. Everyone. There is nobody that has their life all together, no matter what it looks like on social media. And perhaps even the ones that look the most put together are the ones that have the deepest scars, because what are they trying to hide? We are not a bunch of people here who are absolutely perfect and have it all together, as much as how nice we look on Sunday mornings would make it seem that way. We are broken people smothered and covered and immersed in God's grace and love. We fight God when we don't have to, but God in God's grace allows us to keep wrestling. God allows us our wrestling and transforms it into an outward and visible sign of that inward grace that God gives us. And in Jacob's case, he came away with a permanent limp and a new name, Israel. I think that limp is symbolic of the fact that Jacob wasn't going to be that con man anymore. He wasn't going to be Mr. Smooth and perfect. He was going to be someone that showed on the outside that he had struggled and that God was with him. Hear me loud and clear this morning, church. 
your wrestling with God is not wrong. The arguments and beefs that you've had with God over the years are understandable and natural, and God doesn't hold it against you. And quite frankly, if you don't have some beefs with God right now, I would argue that you're not really paying attention to what's going on in the world. But every one of us has dark nights of the soul. Every one of us has doubts and fears and failures and scars. Everyone wonders at times, does God hear me, see me, care for me, and rage? And in our gospel story, we see that God does not reject the hurting and the persistent. God always shows grace. There was no one more powerless in the first century than a widow. A woman without a man was was useless, powerless, without a future. If she was lucky, she had enough resources to live off until she died, or a son who was old enough and wealthy enough to take her into his household. But if she was not lucky, which was probably most folk who were widowed, she would be begging on a street corner or selling her body so that she could eat. So for a woman like that to have the moxie to keep standing up to the judge, as Jesus told this parable about, and the judge to acquiesce to her is a very surprising image. In that time, it would have been assumed that the judge would have just had her removed from his presence. She had no power. She had nothing to say to him. But in this, in this parable that Jesus taught, the judge said, well, she's just going to continue to violently harass me. And in the original Greek, it's she's going to give me a black eye. And so I'm going to change my mind. Jesus says, even if this corrupt, powerful judge that has no respect for God and doesn't really care about people would change his mind for this powerless one, don't you think God is paying attention to you? Don't you think God hears you? God does not look down on us for our struggling and our persisting and our wrestling in our lives and our circumstances. I believe that this parable speaks to this, that God does not reject a broken heart, even if God gets kicked in the shins or a headbutt in the nose. But we also have to acknowledge how this scripture is typically read. That if someone has enough faith and persistence, that their prayers will be answered in the way that they desire. You've heard that, right? Yeah. But we know that we don't always get the outcomes that we want from simply praying a lot, right? If that were the case, there never would be a child who died from cancer because there is endless prayers ascending for our hurting ones. God doesn't care about one family's cries of desperation over another. Bad things do not happen to good people because they and their family did not pray hard enough or have enough faith. And if someone has ever told you that when something terrible happened to you, know this, that is not true. God is with you. God loves you. Just because that terrible thing happened to you does not mean that God's grace is not sufficient for you. It is not your fault. We live in a world where the fallenness of sickness and suffering and violence and inequality is among us. But God has worked resurrection into creation. 
So even after we have spent all our energy on our grief and suffering and wrestling with God, no matter what, new life will come. A limp, new name, and all. God is cool with us wrestling, crying out, and even trying to give a black eye when we're frustrated, scared, and at our wit's end. God can handle it. God gives us space to have dignity and autonomy. What a grace. This week, as I walked up Little Mountain with one of you, which is perhaps the best part of being a pastor, by the way, the just being with you part, the walking, talking, having coffee, looking at pictures of your family and hearing your stories. I love it. And as I walked with this lovely person, she asked me how I was doing in my grief journey about losing my dad uh, unexpectedly 18 months ago. I told her, and as I did, a very strong wind came through right where we were walking and blew hundreds of leaves off of a tree, making this beautiful blizzard of magical fall leaves. It was so beautiful. And as these leaves were falling, I told her of the way that my broken heart will never be put back together, but how the broken places have let in so much beauty and connection, so at least I got something out of it. I wouldn't trade that for my dad, but I'm not empty-handed. I'm limping, but I'm whole. I'm as helpless as that maple tree that was shaken by the wind and lost all of its leaves right at that moment. And I wondered, is it helpless thinking that it is dying? Or does it remember from the year before and the year before that that this is what happens? That the pattern of loss and new growth will bring a new day? Would it do any good for the trees to try to hold on to their leaves? Would it benefit the moon to try to hide from the sun? Would it profit the robin to hold her babies back from learning to fly to have just one more night snuggled into the nest? Church, I pray that we can trust God enough to wrestle when we need to and limp away knowing that God will never leave us or forsake us that we can enter the dark night of the soul alone save for the one whose idea we were in the first place and whose destiny we are. And we can lose and limp and hurt and grow and win and love and know that all of it is grace. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Let justice flow 